Welcome to the Find Your Awesome Podcast. My name is Kelsey Abbott. I'm a confidence coach and instigator of joy. I believe that we are all so much more powerful than we can possibly understand. My goal with these conversations is to introduce you to brave, vulnerable people who are finding and owning their awesome. My guests are leaning into what makes them unique and sharing that uniqueness with the world. I hope these conversations inspire you to break free from whatever is holding you back and to step into your own greatness. Welcome to the Find Your Awesome Podcast. My guest today is Amanda Loveland. She is a copywriter for creative entrepreneurs, and this girl is a gem. I can't wait to get started. Let's do this. Welcome, Amanda. Thank you. Excited to be here. I'm so excited you're here, and I so wish we had recorded the conversation before <laughs> this. As we talked about online dating, traveling, entrepreneurship, um, and Skyping with dogs. And skating with dogs, yeah. Mostly online dating. Those yes. words. Yeah. Yeah. Good people. Good people. <laughs> so, wait, I just, let's actually start there. What have you learned about humanity through online dating? <laughs> um, that we need copywriters for online dating profiles? So bad. <laughs> um, Honestly, like through dating in general with most of the dating that I've done has been through online dating. Um, the primary lesson that I've learned is how healing men are. I think that there's a lot of opposite stories out there about how crappy the situations are or how much people are driven by like just wanting sex and that's why they're on accounts. And I've dated... I mean, I can't think of a single person that I've dated where that's been the truth. And maybe, maybe it's just because my boundaries are really strong, but more than anything, I've met incredible men who are very healing in it for the right reasons. Um, very respectful. And, um, that's probably the primary lesson I've learned. And then the secondary lesson I've learned is, um, to do it when it's fun, like to, to online date when it's fun and um to do it with your friends and make it like a fun experience and when it's not fun anymore just let it let it go take a break um that's when i've had like the greatest success the best dates and kept proper perspective about dating and why i'm doing what i'm doing and i feel like that's true for life yeah like in our businesses careers whatever relationships hobbies do it while it's fun yeah, when it becomes a chore, it's just, I mean, there's certain things I think that like are going to be difficult while you're doing them. It's going to feel like a chore, but there's other things that like, I don't know, like why, like why would I make dating a chore? That <laughs> just to me like that's, you know what I mean? Or I guess sometimes, and you could speak to this even more so, Kelsey, it's like your fitness. Like if you don't enjoy what you're doing, there's so many different other things that you could do for fitness or for your body. Yeah. Why are you choosing the thing that's so effing difficult? So if online dating isn't fun anymore, don't do it. If dating in general isn't fun anymore, don't do it for a while. Take a break. Like that's totally been an effective strategy for me. I love it. And I think that's a really good analogy with exercise because it's so funny to me. Back when I was a personal trainer, I remember having an argument. Well, well I wasn't arguing, but this guy was arguing with me, telling me that running was bad for people. And I was like, well, it, if you have injuries, yeah, it can hurt you. But like, if you don't want to run, you don't have to run. 
If you don't like running, just don't run. There are so many other ways to move your body. Yeah. Or like, cause I, I used to be a runner and, um, there were some things that happened with me autoimmune related that made running actually have like an opposite effect. It no longer made me happy. It no longer produced like those endorphins for me. It actually created like a depression and an anxiety when I would do it. So I loved doing it, but I wasn't getting the effects that I wanted. So I had to adjust to not just have more fun, but actually enjoy my workouts again. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. We could go to town on the, on the workout solution, but (laughs) yeah, like do, do things when do things, um, do things that call to you. And when they no longer call to you, it's not that you have to give up the whole concept. It's just that maybe there's an approach that's better for you. Right. Follow the joy and find the joy. Yeah. And when you can't find the joy. Podcast related, find the awesome. Exactly. Always. (laughs) Okay. So how did you get to be a copywriter? Um, so it was a bit of an evolution. So I started as a a coach, a life and business coach, and I was pretty successful at my coaching business. And hold on a second. Did you start that like right out of the gate, like right after college? No. So, um, I started that in a couple years after college. So, um, I started that in 2013. So it was about five years after college. So I went to college for, for not-for-profit management. And I thought that that is what I would do forever. And then I started working in these different not-for-profits and found that what I thought I would be super passionate about, I actually lost passion in when I was paid to do it. It's like I was no longer doing it because I loved it. I was doing it because I had to. And so um, I decided to leave not-for-profits, but in it, I learned a really important lesson that led me to business, business coaching at the time. And it was that the not-for-profits that are the most effective in most cases and, and the ones that were really making a difference in the world were, were fundraising a lot of money. There was a lot of money coming through. And that was a really important lesson for me to learn because as I started to go into coaching, um, that's what I started to, to teach people is I started to become really interested about why are we resistant to making money when it gives us potential to grow our platform so much. And so I started life coaching at two different, uh, two different schools <clears throat> and wasn't really sure that that was the business I was going to start. It's just that I was interested in, in helping people in that way. And when I went to my second coaching school, I just knew for sure that 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 was the route that I was going to take. So in 2013, I started my first coaching business and was pretty successful. And it took me about two years to have a full client load where I couldn't take any more clients. And I was mostly helping people to start and grow their businesses as life coaches, as multi-level marketers, um, as healers, as yoga teachers, more like the spiritual field and the entrepreneur field. And, um, when I got to that place, when I was on a full client load, I was still being, people were still inquiring about services. And I'm grateful to say that. I know some of the people listening definitely have not had that experience yet. So I'm grateful to, to be able to say that I went through that experience. And so I decided to start <clears throat> filming videos that taught the very things I was teaching one-on-one. <clears throat> and I built my first online school. It was called Wealth University. It was specifically for people in their 20s and 30s who wanted to start and grow a business that made a difference in the world. And <clears throat> so I was running the, the business coaching side of things. And I was also running this online school, Wealth University. And I did that for a few years um, and had a lot of success with it. had a lot of fun with it. Learned a lot about online businesses. Learned a lot about marketing. 
Um, and I just came to this place. I had some personal things happen in my own world where I basically had this, like, it's just one of those pivotal moments in life, you know, where I realized I no longer had to do what I was doing. So I got to ask myself the question, do I love it anymore? And the answer was no, I didn't love it anymore. I was good at it. It was helping people. I knew that I could do it forever if I, if, you know, I was that committed to it. But I felt like my perspective on, on business, on making money and on entrepreneurship had changed a lot. So I was teaching these concepts that I no longer really felt passionate about and no longer really believed in. <clears throat> so I made the decision that I was just going to take a sabbatical from entrepreneurship, that I was just going to take as much time as I needed off and just say, you know what? I can close the doors. I'm young enough. There's absolutely nothing holding me to this. Um, so I'm going to close the doors and, and see what else happens. And so that was a, a difficult transition, closing everything down. <clears throat> and during that year, I traveled full-time. So I traveled full-time for, it ended up being about a year and a half that I was like out of a backpack style. And like I, staying in hotels, driving, flying. So I lived out of Airbnbs all over the world, flew places, trained it wherever I was, just wherever felt, I felt inspired to be. It started with a one-way trip to Paris. So I packed up my place in Los Angeles, got rid of everything I owned except for what, what could fit in a backpack and took a one-way to Paris. Wasn't sure how long it would last. Wasn't sure where I was going after that. Just knew that I had to, I had to go. Um, so went all over the world and loved that lifestyle on so many levels. But it also taught me some really important lessons, which led me to then really sit back and go, okay, so do I want to open up that business again? I can. The whole school is there. I still have the client base. I still have these things. So do I want to open that back up again? And the truth was there was just a new message and a new part of me that wanted to grow. And that part was really the writer in me. I really wanted to be a writer. I really loved that part of my business and felt like I could help people with my words. And so the first way that started happening is I just started literally writing again. Like I was just like, I don't even know what I'm writing. I'm just writing, <laughs> writing everywhere. And I started writing a book. I submitted some, um, um, some book proposals to different publishing houses. I just kind of like started to play. And through starting to play, I also was giving out some different writing advice to a lot of my different colleagues. And I'm really good at sales pages. I'm really good at websites. I'm really good at opt-ins. I'm really good at helping people understand who their ideal client is and what they're going to be looking for. I'm really good at helping people to formulate what their packages are that they're offering. I'm just really good with the words about things like that. Um, and so because of that, I was giving enough advice away that it, I like to follow not just intuition, but opportunity, very entrepreneurial in that way. So I saw it as an opportunity to start a new business and help people in a different way. So now just writing for creative entrepreneurs, helping them to really get clear about what they're offering the world and then share it in the right way. And then on the side, I write my book still and, and have my, have my thing going on in my own creative writing world. I love it. And how long have you been in one place? Oh, geez, actually a little while now. I've, um, I got this apartment a year ago and I've That's only wandered domestically in that year. Um, and just recently, which a lot of it was health reasons. I had some health stuff I needed to heal from. Um, and my family, I love my family and I get to hang out with them when I'm around here. <laughs> um, and so I, um, just started to get the, the bug to travel again. So I leave here in about a week for my first kind of wander in the woods, <laughs> my first wander in the woods with a friend. And then, and then we'll see where else I feel inspired to travel to. 
I love the open-endedness of it. It actually feels like that is a theme in your life. Yeah. There's like no finish line. Yeah. No limits to things. Yeah. I think that some of it is new. Um, you know, when I went to life coaching school, I learned about vision based living, like create your vision three years from now, create a plan to achieve it, meditate on it, on it every, or visualize about it every day, journal about it, act as if be the woman who, and that's what I taught. And I just don't, it's not that I don't believe in that anymore. It's that I've, I, um, I think that that way of, of living is for particular phases of life. And everybody knows what phase they're in, right? It's like, you're maybe in a job that you don't love. And so you got to really start sifting through, well, what else would I love and, and crafting it? Well, three years from now, I'd love to be owning my own business or I'd love to be in a better career or whatever it is. Right. We're in those phases. And then there's other phases where maybe we thought we knew what we wanted and then we got it. And we realized that we weren't as happy. We weren't as fulfilled as we thought we would be, that it wasn't satisfying, that there were still problems that, that, you know, it just, it wasn't what we thought. And there are other cases like in mine where it's ripped away, where that vision you thought and then began working towards then just disappears. So for some people, it might be that they had a vision of their health and they were on track and they were an athlete. And then all of a sudden they're diagnosed with something mm-hmm. that completely changes the course. Right. I think there's just these different phases that happen and I'm in that phase for myself. And one of the things that has become very clear to me is sometimes when you surrender to the life in front of you, when you surrender to the circumstances in front of you, instead of commanding that you live a vision, but instead be completely in the life that you have. Embrace it, accept it, do the best you can within it. Um, that sometimes that ends up making us happier than the very vision we were working our asses off to, to go get. Yeah, I think surrendering, people tend to think that it means giving up, giving in, but it's, it's more like letting go, like not being so rigid yeah. and, and more being in flow and being curious. You're like, yeah. oh, okay. Let's see where this goes. Yeah. So I became the, the, because I was like so vision-based living and I was like, so I was so focused on that kind of living. I started having to say this mantra to myself where I was like, be curious far more than you are certain. Be curious Mm -hmm. far more than you are certain. Cause I was certain of a kind of life that I wanted to live, but I no longer have that option. And so I had to, just become really curious about what the benefits were of it, how it would change my perspective, what I might learn, what things I might run into that are even more beautiful than what I could plan for, like all these things. And now I'm like addicted to that way of living. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> I'm like, fuck the vision. I don't care anymore. <laughs> let's just see what happens and let's enjoy the ride. Like that is just totally where I'm at. For me, when I create like a super clear vision of something, I'm over it. Like then it's like, <laughs> then living it isn't like, oh yeah, I'm getting everything I dreamed of. It's, this is a rerun. I've already done this. Yeah. I'm not like, I actually, I did it once as I wrote a race plan yeah. before a race. And yeah, everything went exactly as I expected. So when I crossed the finish line, people were like, oh, how was that? Like, how's the experience? I was like, meh. It's kind of boring. Interesting. Yeah. 
I'd rather just like be wide open to possibilities and see what's possible. Yeah. And I think there's fear in that. Like I know for, for me, there was, I think I've, I've gotten to the other side because I've just experienced enough at this point. But especially when you're in the personal development world, like the, the statement I always remember is you're either living from a vision or you're living from your circumstance. You're either creating your plan or you go back to your default setting. Yeah. And so there's a lot of fear and like, yeah, but if I don't plan everything out or if I don't, if I don't set my vision, then I could go down a course I don't even like. Yeah, you could. But the other lesson that's very important in the personal development world is that you cannot control the outside world and you cannot control what happens. You can control who you are through the process. And that is like the, the top tier lesson, right? It's like who you're being, not what's happening. Who you're being is affecting your surroundings. So I put the focus for myself significantly more on who I'm being. So significantly more on, well, I can continue to improve myself as a person. I can see the different things about myself that I want to cultivate or, or play more in, or I can do those things. And my circumstances sometimes never change, but my perspective of them does. Um, or like what you're saying in your race, right? It's like, you can focus on, you know what, no matter what happens in this race, I'm going to kick its ass or I'm going to, you know, like I'm going to give it everything I've got. And then it's like exciting because you're, you don't have a plan. Yep. But you also acknowledge that you have, you, like, the one thing you have control over is, like, that's where the empowerment comes from, you know? The excitement comes from. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I want to back up to Wealth University. Yeah. And you said that you, I forget how you phrased it, actually, but basically your ideas changed. Yeah. And so it was no longer in alignment. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, the primary... Um, way that it has changed is that in Wealth University, I taught that the more money you make, the, um, the greater you have, the more potential you have to, to have an effect on the planet and others. That it's the greatest gift you can give the world. The, ta- the tagline to all my videos was, you are becoming wealthy is the greatest gift you can give the world. Um, and my pr- perspective on that has changed. I helped a lot of people at Wealth University to pass the six-figure mark. So people came to the school or came to my coaching because they were either making no money or maybe they were making a thousand dollars a month and they really wanted to make a hundred thousand dollars a year. That was like, I want to get there. And I helped a lot of people do that. And there were a couple truths that came up in helping people do that. The first one was that rarely did I see someone's financial situation actually change, even when their income changed. And that was really hard for me. So the, that lesson or that realization led me to become very concerned about what Wealth University was doing in the world. I felt like the promise I was making was that I would help people to become wealthy. And wealth is not determined by your income was the realization I made. So that made me start questioning it and go, well, if I'm not actually helping people to adjust their finances, no matter how much they're making, they're spending it all especially with entrepreneurs, there's so many opportunities to spend our money and their financial patterns weren't changing. And so I went, okay, so what is the lesson that I'm missing? And what I've discovered for myself in my own life is that it, your, your income does not, is not the thing that makes you wealthy, but how you manage the money you have does. 
So I went from making quite a bit of money from working Wealth University and being a business coach. I was making quite a bit of money to making a lot less and to making none for a solid year. And in that time, I had to practice my financial management skills. And I found that the better money manager I became, the more money I had in my life. I've saved more than ever before. I've paid off more debt than ever before with either having no income or consistently making less than $20,000 a year. So my income's rather small. I work part-time now. I'm very happy with that. Um, I have a lot of freedom. I usually take three to four months off every year so I can travel, so I can wander, so I can be with my family. So I keep my income small because I know that my wealth is not determined by my income. It's determined by how well I manage the money I have. Okay. Sense? Yes, it does. And I want to know what does wealth mean to you? So can I tell you what I think abundance means? Mm-hmm. Maybe the same thing. Abundance to me is managing what you have in a way that gives you access to what you want. So managing what you have in a way that gives you access to what you want. So I found in Wealth University that people came to us to increase their their income because they thought that that would solve their abundance issues. That would make them more abundant. And I found that their abundance never changed if they didn't truly become better managers with their money. And so that was really hard for me. And so my own perspective had to change so that I could change the proper lesson. So now I work through that and I, um, I consider opening Wealth University back up with that additional component now. I don't know if I will, um, but just helping people to become better man- money managers. But more than anything, I learned through that experience how important it was to manage whatever money comes into your life. Because there have been phases since then that I've made no money. I've made $20,000 a year. I've gone well above that through other businesses that I've, that I've like been wandering in. And no matter what my income is, it's like I'm no longer internally affected by it. And I usually feel more abundant when I have less money, to be completely honest with you. (laughs) Because abundance is not just money, but money is a part of abundance. And um, so that was the primary thing that I learned through Wealth University and my primary perspective that shifted. The other one um, that's a big one for me is I think a lot of times that people become entrepreneurs because they're seeking happiness. Um, they're seeking more happiness and more fulfillment in their work. And I think that that's the wrong reason to start your own business. I think that if you're seeking happiness and more fulfillment at your work, you should just find a better job. Cause those are two things you probably won't find in entrepreneurship. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You'll find that the hours are longer you have to work your ass off, that you tend to have to make really rough decisions, that you lose your passion for your job, that like all these things happen in entrepreneurship. And so that was another thing that my perspective changed a lot because I was helping a lot of people. I was like, anyone can start a business. Um, And I do still agree that anyone can start a business. I find it very easy to start businesses. Um, But that doesn't mean that I think everyone should be an entrepreneur. I actually think that the majority of people who are seeking entrepreneurship are going to be less happy in that pursuit. And it'd probably be better to just get a job. <laughs> yes. Okay, wait. So I have to share this. Our, there's someone in our neighborhood who subscribes to a, they have dogs and they pay people to come pick up the dog poop. And it says on the truck, I forget the name of the company. It's a, it's a ridiculous name. And it says it's $10 a week. So they're paying $520 a year. I'm guessing maybe there's a package deal if you do it for a year. <laughs> <laughs> but to have somebody pick up their dog's poop so they don't have to do it. 
So my big takeaway, I have a lot of takeaways, like basically it's where your priorities are, but also like that's a business. Yeah. So if you're really passionate about picking up dog poop, you can make that your business. (laughs) Opportunities are everywhere. Opportunities are everywhere. But I also think that's actually a really good example of how, of how, um, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs now start businesses because they're passionate about it. And I was just talking to my, I run an entrepreneur group here in Michigan and I also run one in Michigan or in Michigan, in Boston. And I was talking to the Michigan group, Michigan group the other night about, um, sometimes the best business decision you can make is to start a business you're not passionate about. I think it makes us better business people, better business women. Um, and so, you know, a lot of people start coaching businesses or yoga businesses or spas or haircutting, like all these different businesses that are out in the world because they're so passionate about that thing. And when you're really passionate about that thing, it, it, your emotion drives a lot of your decisions and you also get very frustrated and attached to the way your business grows. Yeah. And a business is its own entity. It's separate from you. It's going to grow on its own. Um, People are going to be interested in certain programs that you didn't think would sell that well. Um, That's the thing you have to start all of a sudden talking about in your brand. The things that you spend years creating and packaging and making the perfect program with don't sell at all. Um, You know, there are just so many different, very logical, practical reasons why businesses do or do not grow. And when you're super passionate about it, you can't really see those things, nor are you willing to admit them and adjust because of it. So I think if you really do want to be an entrepreneur, sometimes the best decision that you can make is to start a dog poop business because you're probably not passionate about it. You can just make real good business decisions. (laughs) That's hilarious. (laughs) So many life lessons. So many life lessons from the dog poop business. From the dog poop business, <laughs> which I didn't know existed until like a month ago. Oh my god, that's awesome! Who knew? <laughs> um, okay, so okay, so wealth university. You changed your outlook on wealth and abundance and income versus financial like success. Yeah. And then you, and then you just start writing. Yeah. What does it feel like when you're writing? Um, it depends on what I'm writing, I guess. When I'm writing books, my favorite thing and the only thing I ask of my writing, I try not to make any demands to it right now. Um, but the only thing I ask is that I lose myself in it because the way I see it, and I'm not a published author, so I have no idea if this will be effective in the long term. But um, but the books that I love the most are the ones that I lose myself in. When I sit down to read them, it's like everything that's going on in me, it's like I don't even, I don't hear it, I don't see it. I'm like lost in the story or lost in the guidance or, lo- you know, it's like I just lose myself. And so I feel like if I can do that in my own writing, then it at least opens the door for other people to do it too. Yeah. I try not to be too logical and practical when I'm writing like my own work um, and just really try to lose myself in the story and let the story figure itself out. I love the Stephen King novel, his memoir called On Writing. And he talks a lot about his process and that good storytelling good storytellers sit down and strap themselves in and let the story tell itself. Um, And I try my best to do that. But when I'm writing copywriting stuff, 
Um, that's very different. I have a very well-balanced mind. So I work for creative entrepreneurs because I understand their airy-fairy mindset. They're, I can change the world. Um, they're, my, my program, my product could make a complete difference in the world. Doing this particular style of workout could change someone's life. Like that like really passionate creative drive to, to create and grow and serve. Like I understand that. But I have a very strong practical side. And so one of the reasons that I think I work really well with creative entrepreneurs is because I tame the creativity into some very practical wording so that number one, people understand what the F you do. Because I think especially when we're, especially for service-based entrepreneurs, sometimes it's, it's hard to say this is an outcome that you receive when you work with me. And that's definitely one of my areas of genius is helping people to define the outcomes of what someone experiences. That, and that's really hard to do yeah. with coaching because it's so unique with every client. It is so unique with every client. And so um, that is one thing that for me takes just, um, just takes a heavy practical mind from myself. Um, and also like sales pages and stuff like that. I just come from like a what word or with opt-ins, I come from a what's someone gonna be Google searching like, I really just get like super, super practical about someone's business. And then I infuse it with creativity and emotion as much as I can to make sure it's their voice. So that one doesn't necessarily feel, um, I don't lose myself in it, but I try to work with people who I'm so excited to learn about what they do and learn from them that, um, that I just like, it's, I guess it just feels like exciting. I feel like I'm like this research person, you know, like on my computer, just like, Oh, where can I find this information from them? They don't even have it. Oh my God. I need to create it for them. Like I just try to get excited for people for what they're doing in the world. Um, and then, and then kind of go back from there. I hope that makes sense. It, it makes perfect sense to me. Cause I, in another life, I was a science writer yeah. and what I did was really translate science. I take scientific papers and make them funny and accessible. And so, yeah, it sounds like I, I also would get super excited about learning things Yeah. and then make them, yeah, totally unique. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a different kind of creativity for sure. It's much more practical, but I would say if anything, it just feels like I feel excited for the person and excited too, because it offers them so much clarity um, about what they're doing and how to talk about what they're doing in the world one of like the biggest struggles I see creative entrepreneurs having which I'm sure you can relate to it's not just creative entrepreneurs it's like when we have these service-based businesses we're trying to explain to somebody what we do sometimes it's like we cannot find the words to make sense of it in their brain like we get right. it but we can't say it in a way that they understand it and so being able to literally like hand someone like here say it like this just I get so excited because <laughs> coaching for instance is not everyone knows what coaching is and then they maybe already have this idea of what a life coach is. Like a life coach is someone who tells you what to do. Mm. Then if they even get that far, then they could also be like, oh, a coach is an athletic coach. Yeah. And they can't leave that concept behind. Right. So it's, you know, if you say you have a dog poop business, people can pretty much figure out what you do. But if you say you're a coach, it's not always as clear. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the other part of that, I, um, is like helping people to find their niche, which a lot of creative 
entrepreneurs really hesitate to do, but I encourage people to do. I find that the smaller the market you can, you can try to focus on, the better for your business and the better for you. And people are always like, but I'm leaving people out. I say, leave them out. I say, get as specific as you possibly can. If you want to be a coach specifically for the woman who runs marathons in the state of Massachusetts, I say, you're going to do better than a woman who trains people for marathons. Like you're just going to do better. You're more specific. And so helping people to really figure out who the person is. You and I were just talking about this, your ideal client. <laughs> <laughs> Of your ideal client. <laughs> I say, I say, whip the, speci the specificity out. Just throw it out there. Just tell me what you mean. And I like. I, sometimes people hesitate to do that. So when I go through and can research their business and hear their stories and read their testimonials of how they've helped people in the past, I can help them to tease out who they're already marketing to without even knowing the words. And that just that's a really cool feeling too. Yeah. I love it. Yes. Yes, I may have made a comment. <laughs> My ideal client travels. That is the more open way of saying it. Okay, so let's talk about travel. Okay, let's do it. Um, I want to know where you went. Where'd you go after Paris? So I went um, Paris to Rome for 24 hours, to, uh, to London, to Amsterdam, to Bali. I was in Bali for a long stretch. And then I flew to Australia, Byron Bay, Australia, where I thought I'd be for three days and I stayed for six months, thought I'd never leave. Um, and then I went, I came back to the States and I tried to stay in Northern California for a long stretch. Um, I was dating somebody at the time and wanted to see if it would work. So I stayed in Northern California, but I was between Northern California and Michigan, still living out of the backpack. And then I came back to Michigan to be with my family, thinking I'd be here for a few months. And then, <laughs> and then I decided to stay got a place. So I wandered pretty much internationally and then kind of tried to navigate where I was gonna stay here in the States when I got back. Yeah. So Okay. Um, why only 24 hours in Rome? Okay. Are you ready <laughs> to hear the Roman experience? Yes. The best 24 hours of my life, Kelsey. This was the start of my dating experiences. Oi. Just, just oi. I, um, so I was in Paris and um, I decided to, I booked my first Airbnb, I think for like two weeks or a week or something like that. And then I decided I wasn't ready to leave. And so I looked for other Airbnbs. And the one I really wanted, the district I really wanted to be in, there was a 24-hour lapse between when I had to check out from my previous one until I could check into the new one. So I was just going to find a hotel or something like that to stay in. But when you're anywhere in Europe, you can probably find a flight in an Airbnb somewhere in another country. Um, that would be the same price as finding an Airbnb or a hotel in the same city. And so I looked into that and I was like, well, where could I go? And I looked at a couple different places and I found like a 20 something dollar flight to and from Rome and then like a 30 something dollar a night Airbnb right outside the Coliseum. So I was like, okay, I'll do that. So I got on the plane, flew to Rome late, late one night. Um, 
checked in to this sweet little bed and breakfast with this woman who spoke no English. And she was like the sweetest old lady. She took her apartment. It was like a three bedroom apartment and made it into a bed and breakfast. So her kitchen was like this community kitchen. She made breakfast for everyone. And oh my God, she was so sweet. And so she speaks no English. So I check in, she's pointing to signs that are typed out in English so she can say what she needs to say. Like breakfast is at 8 a.m. Checkout is at 11. I'd be like, oh, okay, okay, grazie. And um, I go to sleep. I wake up in the morning and, and Rome was the only place I decided to like pay a tour guide because I was there for 24 hours. I wanted to like see as much as I could. So it's like 6 a.m. I go to my tour guide. I'm with the, the group till like 6 p.m. We do the Coliseum. We go to Vatican City. We do all these really awesome tours. We march around. We get gelato. We go to Trevi Fountain. All these really cool things. And I'm heading back because I had to teach a wealth university call at like 7 p.m. So it's 6 p.m. I'm like heading back to my Airbnb. And there's a bunch of traffic. So a bunch of people are getting out of work and tourists are all over by the Coliseum. And so I kind of am like trying to navigate my way through this crowd and this guy and I bump into each other and he looks at me and he starts speaking to me in Italian. I was like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I don't speak Italian. And he was like, Oh, American. He was like, how are you? What's your name? And he's like chatting to me. Super attractive Italian man. Francesco was his name, but of course. So Francesco starts talking to me and he's like, yeah, I work at the hotel up there. So I have to speak English. Um, telling me that he went to university for this hospitality thing. We're just having like a good conversation, just basic getting to know you stuff. And he goes, Amanda, I would love to take you to dinner while you're in Rome. Can I take you to dinner while you're here? And I said, oh, Francesca, you're so sweet. But I leave like in five hours. Like I, I'm leaving. And he was like, Amanda, you only had a day in Rome? He was like, this is the best city in the world. You have to let me take you out to dinner before you leave. And I was like, Francesco, you're so sweet, but I have this class. I'm like, totally black. And he was like, Amanda. He just turns and he grabs my hand. He goes, Amanda, you have 24 hours in the best city in the world. Please let me show you my city. And I was like, okay, Francesco. (laughs) (laughs) So I book it back, teach my wealth university class, whip on some new clothes and start marching back to the Coliseum. And Francesco waited there for me. For like an hour and a half. I know. That's why I say the men that I've attracted in my life are awesome. And he, so he's, he waits there. He didn't, he had to tra- train outside the city to go home. And he's like, now nah, just wait. So I get back and I, I get there and he holds my hands and he's like, you said you'd come and you came. I'm so excited. I can't wait to show you my city. And he grabs my hand and he marches me all around his city. So we go back to Trevi Fountain and we go to the Spanish steps and we go to this beautiful little Italian place. And he's telling me all these different stories about the city and growing up there and what it's like and different Italian dishes. And I was just like in heaven, in absolute heaven. And then he starts to walk me like outside the city for the first time. And I was like, Francesco, (laughs) question, quick question. Where are we going? Where are we going? And we're like going up this really steep hill. And he's like, Amanda, you just have to trust me. And I'm like, "Mm, okay. And (laughs) so we're marching up this super steep hill and it's dark out at that point. I'm like, this could probably go really bad, but whatever. I'm in room for a night. Let's just make this happen. So we're marching up this hill and we get to the very top and I can never remember the name of the park, but it's this park that overlooks all of Rome. Is it Palatine Hill? I think that's what it is. Okay. Yeah. 
So I'm overlooking the whole city and all the lights are on. You can see the like circular like construction of the city. And I was just like, oh my God, I was like drooling. I was like, this is the best day of my effing life. And of course, Francesco like whips me around, starts making out with me, which was just like a giant bonus to the whole Well, and, and totally expected. <laughs> I still need to run Italy. <laughs> and then he marches me back to the Coliseum and he's like, He's like, Amanda, Amanda, I don't want a night to end. I was like, but it's going to Francesco. We're having, <laughs> and we kiss one more time. And I go, I go back and I pack my things and I head to the train station. Oh, oh my God. My life is awesome. <laughs> Isn't it? That's like a scene from a movie <laughs> or like an entire movie. Yeah. My, my 24 hours in Rome. Glad, mm. I, glad I can enlighten the ladies. Especially you married ladies on the, on the line. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's just 24 hours. Tell us about other adventures. Other adventures. So, well, the ones that come up in, um, in Bali. So I hated Bali. I hated it. I went to, I flew into Bali and I got, um, in the transport car and it took me to a silent retreat which was like a magical seven days and everything that like my soul needed and just complete silence and and in the middle of the rainforest and I got to walk the rice the rice terraces and meet the families that lived there and they would like invite me in for Bali coffee and it was such a beautiful experience and then I leave the silent retreat and I go to Abud which is the center of the city if, if you um if you've read Eat, Pray, Love, or watched the movie, that's the city she goes to. And they make it seem so damn spiritual. And it's not. It's very touristy. <laughs> it's so touristy. And I go to, so I go from this silent, beautiful place to like the noisiest place in Bali. So there's like all this, people are marching the streets, taxi, taxi, taxi. They're like calling to see if you need a ride. Kids are marching the streets playing drums. They're really proud of their city. And I was just like, oh my God, get me out of here. And I'm staying on this place. It's a little tree house, which is basically a piece of plywood on the top of a, on top of a bar. They just threw a slab of wood down and then threw a bed on it and then wrapped it with a mosquito net. And they were like, here's your place. I was like, perfect. <laughs> Let's do this. <laughs> and so I'm staying in this, in this little tree house in this very noisy place right after this beautiful silent experience. And I'm like, this is, I can't do this. I was like, to total devastation and overstimulation. One of the things that's beautiful about Bali, though, that I love it so much for is um, Balinese people are like, um, it's like going to the best hotel you've ever been to, how all of the staff members are just happy to help. They just will answer any question. They'll direct you to the right person every Balinese person is like that. They are so happy that you are in their community and they want to teach you about their community. They want to help you find what you need. They want to share their culture with you. And that I didn't experience anywhere else. And I loved it. But I was just over. Sounds like you experienced that in Rome with Francesco. <laughs> True. True, Kelsey. I did. <laughs> but yeah, you wouldn't get that in the States. But I, so I'm overstimulated, I'm overwhelmed, and I went to the silent retreat the week of a launch, the very last launch of Wealth University. So my sister, who's working for me at the time, is running the launch, 
and I come back to emails, 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 oh. messages, issues, new students teaching again. And I was just severely overstimulated. And I'm like, I need to, I need to get out of here. I need to go and walk around the city, do something. So I walk out, I go to this ATM, like kind of kitty corner to where my tree house is. And I go in and I put my card in the machine, my debit card in the machine. And this like error message comes up in a language that I, I couldn't understand. It didn't have an English underneath it. This error message comes up and it, it isn't popping my card back out. Like there's like a problem. And so I go and I ask the staff person what, like what's happening, what's going on. And apparently this particular ATM, if there's an issue with the ATM, it doesn't give your card back. It eats your card. So my only financial abilities are in this, in this machine. I can't get it back. He's like, I have to call the, the ATM machine maker and get them to come here. And I was like, I can't, what? Huh? And I had 70,000 rupiah, which sounds like a lot, but it's about $1.52 US dollars. It's all I had. And so I was like, what? And what am I going to do? This is where the very moment when my opinions about Wealth University and finances changed. This very moment. Because I had not enough money to pay for another Airbnb. Not enough money to pay for food. I went to the store. I spent that 70,000 rupiah on a bag of noodles. Which my treehouse did not have a way to make the noodles. So I would go and I would get water from the bar that I didn't have to pay for. And I would take it upstairs and I would soak the noodles overnight to be able to to eat in the morning and they were not, not soft. They were not soft. It was horrible. So I, I had heard that the coaching school that I went to was doing a retreat in Bali at a similar time. I didn't know if it was exact dates. I didn't know what it was. So I emailed my girlfriend who had told me about the retreat. And I said, I don't know when you're coming to Bali, but I have no money. I'd only taken one debit card and one credit card on the trip with me. The credit card was a Discover card, which is not taken in Asian countries. So I couldn't use it anywhere. I had no way, I had no money, none whatsoever. I had to figure out how to, without a cell phone, how to tell Wells Fargo that I didn't have my card so they could mail it to me at this fucking tree house in the <laughs> not a proxy situation. So I emailed my girlfriend. I'm like, Katie, I don't know when you're in Bali, but if you're here now, like I, I got problems. I need you. Katie just so happens to be in Bali at the same time as me. She gives me the address to her place. I write down the directions and I walk to see Katie. I tell her what happened, her and three other women, I think it was three other women, from the coaching school that I went to, like adopt me for the rest of the time in Bali. It's a very different experience. They were staying in very luxurious places. If you go to Bali, you can find a place for 10 US dollars a night. That's like a, a decent hotel around here or like a small little Balinese place, like my tree house. And I loved that kind of style. And they were spending 300 to $500 a night on these very luxurious resorts. So it's not Bali at all. So it's a very different experience. So I'm miserable. I have no money. I'm tagging along with these amazing motherly women who are like, sure, come with us. And so I'm, I'm like living this whole, this whole other life. I spent seven to 10 more days with those women until I could fly to Australia. Till, Cause I had already bought a flight out till I could fly to Australia, got to Australia, had another debit card mailed to me, which took another seven to 10 days. So other women had to adopt me in Australia. I'm like PayPaling everybody money. I'm like, I don't know. 
I'm like, here, if I PayPal you money, will you take it out of your account for me? Like, <laughs> I sound like the shadiest person of all time. So I like spend seven to 10 more days in this like luxurious Balinese living that I'm so angry about and so overstimulated by until I got to Australia and could get, get my debit card mailed to me. So that was quite an adventure, Kelsey. That was okay, awesome. so how, explain to us, spell it out, how did that like show you the difference between like income and financial? What do you, what do you call it? Like financial management, financial well-being? Yeah, so um, it showed me the difference between um, what money is and what abundance is. They're two very different things. Money is a part of abundance, but money is not abundant. So were you abundant in Bali? I had to be. It was the first time in a very long time I was making enough money at Wealth University that I could pay for just about anything I wanted. I mean, I wasn't making millions of dollars. I wasn't going out and buying yachts or something, but I could travel full time. I didn't have to think about buying a nice dinner. Um, I, I didn't have to think twice if, if, you know, my backpack ripped to go to a place and just buy a backpack or buy a bathing suit if I need. I didn't have to think about those things. But I no longer had my own money. Everything that I needed, I had to be resourceful about. I had to ask for help with. Um, these women were paying significantly more money for a place than, than I was. So my travel funds went from being a, having a lot of travel funds to, to having very little wiggle room because I was paying a lot per night to stay in these places with these women. So I became very resourceful and found out that resourcefulness was significantly more abundant than the money I was using was. And so it changed the way that I operated with money itself and found that my bank account was one way that I could pay for something, but there were many other options. And so it just introduced me to like a different world. Wait, 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 hold on. What are the other options? I mean, and you and I have talked about this. For example, if you're an entrepreneur, if um, like I used to be very much against bartering and I'm not anymore. If it's an equal trade, I believe that bartering is a great idea. Um, doesn't require a bank account. And if it's an equal trade, it's a very abundant way of exchanging goods. Um, it also made me legit just ask for help. If I didn't have the money like if I was paying too much for those, for those hotels and I didn't have the money for dinner, it made me have to say to friends and family, I don't have the money to pay for that. I'm willing to not eat. Um, like that's just, it's something that that's a reality I have to live in. Um, it also made me very minimalistic. So I'm a minimalist now. I found that I bought a lot more than I needed and now I only buy what I need. It's very rare that I buy outside of my needs. Um, it made me resourceful as far as learning new things. What I once paid for, a lot of money for someone else to do, I decided to learn on my own. Um, it changed my relationship with personal development investments because the things that I was paying so much to, to have somebody else teach me, I was then having to use for other things in my business because I was spending more traveling than I thought um, that I would or that I had budgeted for. And so it made me um, depend on myself to learn, become very self-reliant. There were a lot of ways. So resourcefulness um, was like my key way to be, to live an abundant life. Um, and after that, I changed my relationship with money and what um, your bank account being one of the, only one of the ways that you could pay for something. It also helped me to see um, that how, how do I want to say this? how little I needed to actually pay for um, and therefore how much money I could save 
because I was being so resourceful. Does that make sense? It does. Can you give us an example? Yeah. So let me think about how this shows up in my life now. This shows up in my life now. I guess it's kind of like just normal. I have to really think about how this shows up in my life now. I mean, the only, these are the only examples I can think of in this moment. Maybe some more will come as I'm, as I'm thinking about them. Um, but I only, I bought a, a beater car. I bought a beater car. Not because I didn't have the money, but because I just, I didn't see the need in, in spending more money. Um, and saved the rest of the money that I had saved, um, that I had saved to buy the car with that I ended up not using. I just saved the money or paid off debt. Um, one of the other ways it shows up is some of the main things that I wanted to learn. For example, financial management. Instead of paying someone to teach me, I actually decided to, um, to do the work with another person who had that expertise but wasn't great at marketing courses. And so we're co-creating a course right now. So I'm learning what I need to learn without having to pay any money for it. Um, this shows up by... One of the ways that it shows up for me is that I've created a business where I can um, sign clients where I'm learning something that's, that's highly valuable to me. For me, for example, health is my top priority. Taking care of myself, healing from autoimmune disorders, things like that. And so right now I do a lot of copywriting for health professionals, Chinese medicine doctors, acupuncturists, um, healing centers, massage therapists things that I'm not bartering with them. They're actually paying me to learn the very things that I want. That's that amazing. That That's perfect. Amazing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so those are some examples of how it shows up in my life now. It showed up in different ways while I was traveling. Um, I took care of a woman's house for her while she, um, while she did some work up in Northern Australia. I took care of her house um, in exchange for rent. I did the same thing in exchange for rent. I took care of a woman's cat, had a whole entire house in Mullumbimby, Australia, um, completely free of charge because I agreed to take care of her pets. Um, just, yeah, it showed up while I was traveling in different ways where I just, money never had to leave my bank account. I was pretty excited about that. <laughs> I love it. So I think that we all have these experiences, but we don't tend to recognize them. And so I love that you are recognizing them. And as you were thinking about your own examples, I was like, oh, right. I've had a lot of those lately. Yeah. That's abundance. And I think that, that especially in wealth coaching now, and this is not to say if there's a wealth coach on the line where they're like, I teach that. I taught it too. I'm definitely not saying um, that money is a bad thing. I'm just saying that we lean too much on money um, for, for our access to abundance. But the truth is that money is not natural exchanges. So when we look at how can we exchange, what can we, what can we exchange that's equally as valuable? What can we exchange? What can we offer somebody um, that's beyond money? That's beyond our bank account. Whether we don't have it or we don't want to spend it, that's abundant too. So it sounds like it's more about the action of exchanging rather than what it is we're exchanging. Yeah, absolutely. Not everybody looks at it that way, but I definitely do now. And I find that in my attempts to do it, I rarely, I rarely come upon people who are not game for that. Right. Cause those people aren't going to show up in your life. <laughs> Cause they're not vibing where you're vibing right now. True. True. Um, okay. I lost my other question. Cause I got so lost in your stories. Oh, talk to us a bit about making the decision to close wealth university. Yeah. Where were you? 
physically when you made that decision? Just walk us through it a little bit. So I was officially in, I was in Australia. I had the, the knowing in Bali that I was ready. And I kind of felt like the launch that I was doing while I was there might be the last one. Um, but I wasn't certain yet. I was still going back and forth. I hadn't told my staff. I hadn't, nothing was official. And when I was in Australia, I just knew, I just knew it's like I would teach the class and I would speak the concepts because I made the promise to do it. And I just was like, I just don't, I don't know if I don't believe in it. I don't know if I'm just not passionate, but I just don't want to talk about this anymore. That's just what I kept saying. I just don't want to talk about this anymore. So it was in Australia that I decided I was going to close it down, but I didn't tell anybody that yet. Um, I was still leaving, leading live events. So I traveled back to the States to do a live event in San Francisco, which was awesome. It was our biggest live event yet. Um, we made the most money. Like all these things were going on that were awesome. And I just like intuitively knew it was time to, to move along. So I was in Australia um, when I made the decision. And then I came back to the States in order to implement it. And there were a couple of reasons for that. One was financial. Um, because I didn't know I was going to close down my business and I didn't want to spend two or three more money, uh, years running it to save the money to not have to work. And so I came back to the States so that I just was financially in a better position where I wasn't going to be stranded in Australia and eventually deported because I was Because <laughs> your ATM card was eaten again and yeah. So that was a big one. Um, I came back to the States um, to close it down, told my sister who was working for me at the time so she could find other employment um, when I was here in the States. I would say some of the biggest like emotional pieces for me um, that were really hard at the time is I began to see how attached my ego was to being that successful entrepreneur. So that was really hard for me. Um, I was making a lot of money. I had a big appearance. Um, I was doing live events. I was as successful or seen as more successful as a lot of my colleagues. So my ego was really attached to that. And I was, step, I was walking away from all that for, for nothing. There was no, there was no plan. Um, there was no plan. I was going to pick up a part-time job just to be responsible. Like all these things were happening that my ego was really sad about. Um, but I did it anyways, cause I knew it was the right move. And then, um, I was also in a place in my life, right before I started traveling, I went through a, a pretty rough divorce. Uh, I went through a really bad divorce and then um, through the divorce, really lost my health, where mentally and, and physically, I was both depressed and experiencing some pretty serious autoimmune stuff. I had adrenal fatigue, I was borderline chronic fatigue, um, couldn't get out of bed, was sleeping all night and then sleeping 12 hours a day, waking up just long enough to do 15 minutes or an hour of work and then going back to bed. Um, all the things that were keep making me happy, the, the running, the, the moving around were no longer accessible. I would try to go for a run and I would have this horrific anxiety attack. The autoimmune stuff was just really jacking with, with my hormones and, and my um, chemicals going on inside. So, so I was just not in a great place. So I decided to close the business and literally do nothing. I slept a lot. I didn't pick up a part-time job right away. I gave it about six months. It might even been a little bit longer than that, um, where I slept and did nothing, absolutely nothing. And so more than anything, I would say closing my business, I was in a very sad, stripped down place. And I decided that I wanted to start completely fresh with my life because of everything that happened. I had lost everything. Um, 
And so I had to go through the deep, dark depths of losing everything, including my business at that point to, to be able to start over. And I feel like I'm pretty fresh in the starting over. I mean, it might be, that was three years ago. And I would say the last year has, has been like the most progress by all means. So it was, it was a rough couple of years, undoubtedly. Yeah. Yeah. And look at you now. Girl, look at me. Now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So how's the healing going? Like physically, emotionally, what? All. Yeah. Um, I'm in an, honestly, like the best I think that I've ever been. I'm finally in this place. I was saying this last night. Um, I feel like I'm better than I was, but I don't want to make that sound like I'm over everything that happened. Um, particularly divorce. It, everyone has a different experience. It devastated me. Like one of the things was it came as a surprise, which is a whole nother layer, but it devastated me. And, um, and I still struggle with that every day. So I do not want anyone who's listening who's been through something similar to be like, how are you over it? I'm still 14 years in. I'm never, I'm not over it yet. And I look at the women who are 20 years in and they, they still tell me I still have my days. And so for me, I still struggle with it every day. However, I feel stronger in a number of different ways. Number one, um, I feel um, a lot of joy in my life, a tremendous amount of joy in my life, possibly more than I felt before. And a lot of that just has to do with the environment I've surrounded myself with. I love the place that I live. My family is freaking amazing. Like just the best humans on the planet. I have really great friends. I get to write every day. I've discovered that I love those things. And then I spend time on passionate projects um, that I really love. So I feel a lot of joy in my life. And physically, has been um, a very long road, <laughs> but I can work out again, which for me is like, <laughs> I can run, I can walk, I can hike, I can do yoga. I'm like, hallelujah, it's working. Um, I don't hate getting out of bed. I can actually, I, like I sleep normal hours and then I wake up <laughs> function like you, amen. Um, and so for that, I'm tremendously grateful. So I would say I'm better in a lot of ways than, than I was before. I would say so too. Yeah, I have a better perspective than I ever did. And I think that affects all areas. I think also, I'm the only one that gets to see you right now, but you are such a bright light. Aww. Yeah, you are, you are just a beautiful soul. Thank you. And I have long beachy waves. So I mean. <laughs> you do. <laughs> and everyone knows that means that you're super healthy. <laughs> Speaking of dating, for anyone who would like dating, JK, JK. <laughs> no, go. Tell us your dating advice. Go with this. No? Okay. I'm just kidding. <laughs> all right, let's wrap this up. I wanted, I would talk to you all day, but yeah. the headphones hurt my ears. That's the only reason I'm cutting this off. <laughs> um, so Amanda, how can people learn more about you? Because you are not on social media. I'm not on social media. I'm social media free. But if you come to amandaloveland.com, um, you can both download a full-on training, which Kelsey's received. So I'd love your thoughts on it, actually. Um, it's how to build a sales page that actually sells. It's an elaborate training, step-by-step, -step, on what to put on a sales page for yourself. So that's the best place to find me. Um, and you can always send me messages right there on the website if you want to connect about other things. And you guys, the training is amazing. I haven't used it to create a sales page yet, but... It's amazing. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. 
I love you. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. I mean, just for chatting. Yeah, this has been fun. Yeah, it is. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to continue the conversation, please head over to Facebook and join the group Find Your Awesome with Kelsey Abbott. It's free. And if you want more than that, go to my website, kelseyabbott.com. And there you can sign up for my newsletter and get a series of free guided meditations. And I would really appreciate it if you could head over to the podcast app and leave a review of the Find Your Awesome podcast. Your reviews help other people learn about this podcast. Thank you so much. That's all I've got for you, friends. Go forth and be awesome.